All right, so we're on week number two of our discipleship class. Um, last week, what did we talk about? We kind of just did an introduction. Anybody, anything stick out last week? Main idea, anything like that? Nothing stuck out, Joey? Okay. So what did we talk about? We talked about what is discipleship? How did we define that? Anyone remember? Discipleship is helping each other what? follow Jesus. And who is supposed to do the discipleship in the church? All of us. All of us. So disciples make disciples, right? That's part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Part of what it means to follow Christ is obeying his command to make disciples. So this week we're going to narrow it down to kind of the the context in which discipleship should happen. And that's the local church. Um that doesn't mean that you can't, like we said last week, that you can't encourage one another or even help disciple one another in a job setting where people go to different churches or on a college campus where people go to other churches. But our primary sphere of discipleship is within the context of people we've covenanted with in the local church. So our main idea today is that local churches are God's means of making disciples. Like the church, the way God set the church up is supposed to revolve around and help facilitate disciple making. So we're going to turn to two passages. Somebody want to take Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and then I'll take Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25. So Matthew 28... And then Hebrews 10. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Alright, so there's two things you're going to hear in that text that implies that there needs to be a church. And what are those two things? First one starts with a B. Baptism. Baptism. So who has Jesus given authority to baptize? Is it just some individual on the street by himself who has authority in and of himself or herself to baptize people? It's the church, right? So the church has been given authority by Christ to baptize. And in baptism, we're, what we're saying is world, we're, we're putting a stamp of approval that, that this person professes to be a follower of Christ and they're one of us. And the second thing we see there, it starts with a T. So baptizing them and then what? Teaching. Teaching. Now certainly that can happen outside of the context of a local church, but the idea here is that disciples make disciples in the context where there's baptism and regular teaching of God's word. I think what we're seeing implied here, not explicitly stated, but implied here is that discipling happens in the context of a group of believers who affirm one another's faith in baptism and who instruct one another in the Word regularly, Sunday mornings, throughout the week. I think what we see here is a church. Disciple people into a church. Context of discipling is a church. And the second thing, Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 23, 
says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what are, what are some words here that might be included in discipling here? Specifically in verse 24. Encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. What else? Consider how to what? Stir each other up to love and good works. That sounds like discipleship, right? Helping each other follow Jesus. And the one another, who's that? Yeah. So what you have here is there are local churches where we regularly gather together, where we know each other, and we're involved in each other's lives, and we're seeking to regularly do spiritual good to each other. You, you can't do these one another's if you don't have other believers you regularly gather with. So the local church, again, is God's means of making disciples. Any thoughts on that, questions on that, before we jump into kind of the meat of today's lesson? Alright. So first, we're going to look at two things. First is going to be theological reasons why the local church is kind of the sphere of disciple making. And then secondly, why practically having a local church is helpful in disciple making. The first thing theologically is that local churches hold the authority to recognize who disciples are. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 are primary texts. Now, some of this stuff you're going to hear and say, this stuff is all about church government, church structure. That stuff sounds boring, and how does that have anything to do with disciple making? Well, I think Jesus gave us a specific church government not just so that we're organized, but so that discipleship is facilitated. Like, the, the way a church is supposed to be structured lends itself. It fuels discipleship. So we're going to see this. First, Jesus gave the church authority to recognize who disciples are. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. So this is the chapter where Peter makes his confession that Jesus is the Christ. And then what does Jesus say to him? Peter, what does he say? On this what? Rock, I'll build my church. Right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In verse 19, he makes this statement about keys. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in, or whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's an odd statement, right? In and of itself, I don't know that we have enough context to know what he's talking about. But if you flip over to Matthew 18, he, he uses the same language and it helps us understand what he's talking about. I'm going to actually start in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take two 
Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what is that Matthew 18 passage all about? Church discipline. And in church discipline, are we, do we have the authority to definitively say, you're not a Christian? No. no. But what do we have the authority to say? Hold people accountable for their actions under the context of God's Word. Yeah. And that's, that authority is given to who? Us, right? So in the context of the local church, we have the authority not to definitively make someone or not make someone a Christian, but we do have the authority and the command to say we either recognize someone as a disciple in baptism, and if that person goes through this process and shows themselves to be unrepentant, the church is given the authority to say we withdraw our recognition of someone being a disciple. So the church is given authority by Jesus to recognize who is and is not a Christian. That does not mean we know hearts. right? So every person who's baptized in that baptistry, we are, we're not 100% sure they're a Christian. But everything we see, everything we're hearing, we're saying we're willing to say as a church, world, this is a Christian. And in church discipline, we recognize that because we're not, we don't know the heart, there are some people who we have affirmed as Christians that we can no longer affirm as Christians. So the church has authority to recognize disciples. Well, how does that help discipleship? Ah, I heard that word twice already, accountability. What would, if you're just Lone Ranger Christian trying to disciple people by yourself and they say, I don't care about Jesus, what authority do you have in their life? What kind of accountability can you provide them? You can say true things to them, but Jesus didn't give individual Christians any kind of authority. He gave who authority? We've already said it a million times, but who? Local churches. Local churches, because they've been given authority by Christ to recognize who is and is not a disciple, have real authoritative accountability in each other's lives. The church doesn't only have authority to recognize who disciples are, but the church also has authority to recognize leaders. Right? So in Acts chapter 6, when... I think they're the first deacons. When the first deacons are chosen, who chooses them? In Acts 6, who recognizes these men? The disciples. The, 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 the congregation, right? The point among yourselves, these men. So the church, as a Baptist church, we're congregational. That means the congregation holds authority. It's not just the elders. It's the congregation that holds the authority to vote in members, to vote out members. It's the congregation who holds authority to vote in its leaders and vote out its leaders. So because of this, when we're discipling, the local church has the authority to hold one another accountable. Hold accountable leaders, hold accountable its members. Questions on that?
Yeah. Just wondering, Paul also talks about in the uh, in some of his letters to you know like Titus or Timothy. Okay, I charge you to appoint leaders yeah. in local churches. So clearly, that's not exactly congregational sure. in nature as far as how those elders were chosen. Yeah. I don't know how you would address passages like that. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a difference between how the church normally functions. And also there's a missionary context where they're planting churches and there's men who have authority to say, okay, we're starting a church and these are the men who are going to be the leaders from day one. But I think once a church is established, kind of the normal pattern is appointing our own leaders. That's a really good observation. You know, that's a good point. So church has authority. We recognize who is and is not a disciple. That gives us authority to hold each other accountable. Just a, just a question on accountability. Does accountability mean that like, we go around with a microscope on everyone's life trying to find stuff wrong to quote-unquote hold each other accountable? Is that what accountability looks like? Sometimes it's practiced like that. Okay, no. So what does accountability look like? If we're not going around trying to find stuff wrong with each other and, and say, oh, I see sin, so I'm going to hold you accountable, what does it look like? Okay, how so? Well, if, if you profess to be a Christian, then you act like one. Okay. People can see if you're not, but yeah. you, you're responsible for your own self. Okay, yeah, anything else? What does it look like? <coughs> so if we're not like just looking with a microscope, trying to find something wrong in each other's lives so we can rebuke one another and obey those commands of Jesus... I think it looks like that we're living life together and in the context of living life together as friends and in relationship we've covenanted together we have the responsibility to, if we see something to say something that that means if we see things that are good we said last week we have the responsibility to say something and encourage one another but we also have the responsibility as people who have covenanted together in the local church to say something if we see sin And because we've covenanted together and we have authority in each other's lives to speak the truth, that's what we do. We we have authority to to hold each other accountable. All right, letter B. Local church government provides structure for discipleship. First thing is we see that church membership is, I think it's biblical. If somebody were to ask you, and this means if you were an intern, you're not allowed to answer this question. But if somebody were to say, is church membership biblical, what would you say? Like, we do church membership here, right? But is it even biblical? And how would you defend that? I'll put it this way. Does the Bible come out with, you know, 1 Corinthians... 1 verse 3 that says, Thou must be a member of a church. Does it, do you find that kind of explicit biblical command anywhere? Well, you talk about Corinthians. Uh, it's probably the closest verse the, is the opposite where Paul is telling them to expel the brother, which if you could expel, that implies that there, there is some sort of a formal recognition. So I agree with that 100%. But you use the word there, it starts with an I. It implies, right? So the New Testament nowhere explicitly says... Thou must be church members. But the entire New Testament implies that Christians are committed to one another in local churches. 
We call that church membership here. So one thing you said is, if you're going to be removed from something, that means you what? Have to have belonged to something, right? So church membership is implied in church discipline. In Hebrews 13, you'll find that that we're supposed to submit to our leaders. What leaders are you supposed to submit to? The elders of the church. Are you supposed to submit to the preacher that you hear on the radio that doesn't know you and you don't know? No. No. The elders of our church, right? So church membership is implied in leadership. Leaders are to give an account in Hebrews 13 for the flock. Well, which flock? Well, for the people who are, have committed to being under their care. So church membership is implied throughout the New Testament. I think that's an important aspect of, church dis- or of discipleship. How can church membership, just having church membership as a structure for our church, help disciple making? Again, I think, I think we, we do this a lot, right? The church does stuff. We have elders. We have church membership. We do baptism. We practice church discipline. And we kind of tend to just go along with it. Rather than taking a step back saying, is it biblical? Number one. And number two, if it's biblical, why is it there? And how does it help our church? Having church membership helps our discipleship. How? To some extent, we're responsible for one another. Okay. So it defines who we're responsible primarily to each other. Yeah. Because we know exactly who we're called to love and serve and care for. Okay. Yeah. Now, we should love other Christians, right? If you are in a workplace and there are other Christians there, you should love them. You should encourage them. But it gives us this context. It defines who we're specifically able to do that. Because I can't hold every Christian on the globe accountable. I can't hold every Christian in Alexandria accountable. Every Christian in Alexandria can't hold me accountable. But if we covenant together, in local churches, that defines a group of people that we can do that with. Church membership is an aid to discipleship because it defines people, specific people that we've committed to. We've committed to believing the same things about the gospel. We've committed to the same core doctrines that we believe the same things. We've committed to live the Christian life together And we are specifically, uniquely committing to live out the Christian life together in a way that we help each other. So church membership isn't just something that we have so that we can keep tally of how many people we have. It's something we have because we're specifically narrowing the field of Christians in Alexandria that we can disciple in a unique way. And we have authority in each other's lives because we've covenanted together. So it can't be, well, hey, you don't have any, you can't talk to me about those things because it's none of your business. Well, if you've covenanted with me and I've covenanted with you, it is my business. And what's going on in my life is your business. So church, church membership helps us. It gives us, it provides a sphere for accountability. It provides a sphere for intentional discipleship. Our church has elders and deacons. 
not just because we need some sort of leadership structure, so let's just pick this, but because the Bible prescribes it. And why does the Bible describe it, A, and how does that help our discipleship? For elders, at least, it describes them as literally, it's the literal the word, and usually it's translated as overseer. Mm-hmm. They're people who are literally they're watching over the other members of the church. Yeah. A special perspective of leadership, of being examples. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll find the word overseer slash elder, right? You'll find the word pastor, right? Elder, overseer, and pastor, those three words in the New Testament all refer to the same office. So we have shepherds that are overwatching, watching over the flock. And what do they do? What are their primary responsibilities? To do what? Alright, so you find the apostles in Acts 6 say we need to devote ourselves to the, the word and to prayer. Mm-hmm. So they pray, I mean we should all be praying for each other, but elders intentionally and in a unique way are praying for the flock and teaching the flock. What else do they do? Start, another word starts with an L, rhymes with read. <laughs> they what? They lead, Right? So elders have authority to set a direction for the church, right? What else do they do? So in 1 Timothy, you'll find a ton of, a list of just a ton of qualifications. One of them has to do with desire. One has to do with skill. What do the rest have to do with? I'm going to come up once. Yeah. Ah. So elders, because the primary responsibility or, or qualification has to do with their character they should be men that you can look at and say that's what it means to live this stuff out so they model right so with those things in place how do how do elders help our discipleship how how does having a team more than one elder in a local church help discipleship in the local church Yeah, but they're just super Christians, though, right? I mean, that's not us, right? But I mean, that's how we're called to, to live 100% devoted to God, which is... Right. They're just normal people, just like all of us. And they're examples to us to live... This is what it looks like, right? Yeah? Joey? Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, they're, they're all normal people. So the, one of the benefits of a plurality of elders is, you know, they're at the same time, they're also so having the plurality of the group of elders, one, helps them to hold each other accountable uh, and spur each other on to Christ uh, so they can better model Christ for us. But then also, you know, it's, the congregation helps us to see different aspects of godliness um, so we can see more of the full character of God throughout the whole board of elders. Yeah. Yeah. What else do they do? I mean, we already said it. Kate, you said it. What else do they do? They teach. So every Sunday morning, one of our elders stands up there and teaches God's Word. Does that help disciple you? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, right? <laughs> They're giving doctrinal instruction. They're teaching us week in and week out, this is what the Bible says about God. This is what the Bible says about all these issues in our world today. This is what the Bible says about how we're to live. 
that's a form of discipleship. So elders, having elders in a church helps your discipleship and my discipleship. How do deacons, we have elders and deacons, right? How do deacons help serve your discipleship? So if you have needs, you have someone to call, right? What else? It relieves responsibilities of the elders so they can focus on teaching and leading. Yeah, that's a really important one. Moses who had, because he had Mm -hmm. to designate people. Yeah. Because he was doing everything. Yeah. It was a burden. Yeah, those are excellent points. Think about Acts 6. What was happening in Acts 6? Why did they need to appoint these, these men? What was going on? There was a what? There was a problem in the church, right? There was disagreement about, well, why are we getting neglected with the food? And, and they appointed these first deacons to do what? Make sure that what? Everything was fair. Yeah. And that helped preserve what in the church? I heard... Unity. Unity. Hey, if a church is not unified, how do you think discipleship's going in that church? Like, if there's just major divisions and fights and problems in the local church, do you think that the elders are giving time to teaching and praying and leading like they should? Do you think that members are going to want to talk to each other and hold each other accountable and do spiritual good and encourage one another? Maybe, but probably not like they should or could. So having a biblical church government helps your discipleship. I know up to this point, you're, may, you may have come in here and thought, I don't really care how our church functions. It doesn't matter to me one bit. Hopefully you see that how we function, if it's biblical, will help practically you follow Jesus. It's not just there as some arbitrary thing. It's there to help you and me follow Jesus. J- Jesus gave it to us for a reason. And it wasn't just, hey, I guess we have to have a church government structure, so I, I mean, I guess this works. No, it's there for a reason. All right, letter C, and then we'll, we'll pause for discussion. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to... Corporate worship is a huge aspect of your discipleship. It's a church structure. And we're going to spend a whole week on it next week. Chris Dish is going to talk about that, but the sermon... Doing the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's table, hearing, or hearing the word preached, hearing the word read, and, and, and having corporate singing are aspects of your discipleship. So when we go into that, that room over there, everything we're doing is to serve one another and help us follow Jesus more. So we're going to talk about that all next week. But letter C. Local churches are best equipped for discipleship. I think in our day and age, we ship our discipleship out to seminaries. We ship our discipleship out to parachurch organizations. And those things can be useful. I'm not against any of them. But if they take the place of the local church, they're doing us a disservice. Because seminaries and parachurches, 
parachurch organizations have zero authority from Jesus. They don't have elders and deacons. They don't have membership where you are covenant, covenanting together. They don't have the authority to affirm your profession through baptism. And they don't have the authority to remove professions or promote... I'm struggling today. Remove affirmations of faith through church discipline. The church is uniquely and specially equipped to make disciples. It's the best, most healthy context for disciple making. Again, don't hear me saying seminaries are bad. Don't hear me saying parachurch organizations are inherently bad. But the best seminaries and the best parachurch organizations are local church oriented. Like we support a campus ministry. That's a parachurch organization. Nick Nah brings students from Georgetown all the time. But you know why we support that one so heavily? Because they are local church centered. They're not just trying to do quote-unquote church on the campus. They're trying to get students into local churches. That's helpful. Yeah. Well, then that leads to the question of should your leadership have seminary training? Yeah, I think, I think seminary is beneficial. I mean, there are a lot of benefits to uniquely going somewhere where you can just have men who are uniquely equipped to train pastors but at the same time if you just go to seminary and you get a degree doesn't make you a pastor i think if if the best seminary training also does stuff like our internship where you spend a year in a local church observing and learning um, i also don't think seminary is required to be a pastor so it can be a benefit I think normally, if you look at the history of the church, having trained clergy, we'll use that word, has been good for the church, but it can also do a disservice if we just think you have a piece of paper from a seminary, so you're a pastor. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So like, like a real life like example of that, if you don't say it. Um, so like Bill, he didn't go to seminary, but you know we're nominating him as an elder because he models Christ, he teaches Christ well, he's teaching us here today, you know, you, you see him in his hospitality, when he has people over his house, and he exhibits all those different elements of an elder, um, even though he hasn't gone to seminary. So seminary is a useful tool to equip people in order to be pastors, it's a great discipling tool, but it's not the way, but it is a really great way. I'm the same way with Brian Davis, who we just hired as a, you know, as a staff pastor. Um, he, he hasn't been to seminary either, but God has specifically called him um, and equipped him to be a pastor. And he does it very well and we're blessed to have him. Um, but it's still, though, a very you know useful tool that all the pastors would say if somebody had the opportunity to go, um, that, that it is really good as equipping somebody for the ministry. So, But it's not like a legalistic check-the-box because it's not something in the Bible that says this is the way to discipleship and equipping as a pastor. Yeah, I understand that, but I think of it more in the teaching terms mm. of um, uh, having a grasping of the total word of yeah. God yeah. Uh, and having maybe church history and yeah. uh, Old Testament theology, New Testament yeah. theology, and that kind of thing. How does how does a leader get that 
Uh, and maybe they do with a program like the internship, yeah. which I don't know very much about. But yeah. um, you do know that if you've been to sure. a good seminary, yeah. that should be a, um, part of your training to equip you to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I think that's why I think there is benefit in seminary. You know, I think, but I w I'll put it this, I'm stealing this from somebody, I don't know who, so it's not from me, but somebody said this, it was smarter than me. Seminaries don't make pastors, churches make pastors. So I think if churches do a better job on the front end of discipling people, they're not going to be as dependent on the seminary to give all the theological instruction. People should be going to seminary because they already know God's word and they just need to be refined. Rather than, hey, I think I want to be a pastor. I don't know anything about the Bible, so I'm going to go to seminary. I think, I think that's generally, in most churches, how it goes. And I think that's just a sign of a lack of discipleship in the local church. But I think the seminaries are good for refining. You get language training that most churches aren't able to... Most churches don't have pastors that can teach Greek and Hebrew. Like... Delray Baptist Church is unique. Like, we have men here who are uniquely qualified, but not every church has that. So seminary is beneficial for a lot of things. So. Well, and, and I just think about my 40-some years as a believer, yeah. and this being the first church yeah. that I've ever seen this model, yeah. and the other churches that I've been in my whole life, um, I wouldn't have wanted just somebody up from the congregation right. yeah. leading the church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think if we, I mean, it's, I think the more we can get pastors and elders in local churches to think about a responsibility to make, which we're going to talk about at the end, I don't have it in the notes, but have a culture of discipleship in churches, the more healthy churches will get in those areas. So, yeah, that's a good point. Any other thoughts, questions, just kind of on the church government theology piece? Comments, questions? Time for one answer, and then we're going to move on just for time's sake. Go ahead. So That's all right. Versus a comment, I think this governmental church structure also shows a picture of God's character, how he's a God of order ah, yeah. and organization. And my question is, um, with, the, with it being the context of the local church and this all being implied, why doesn't God explicitly say this? Wouldn't it be easier for him to come out and say it? And some of it he does. Like, you'll find qualification for elders, plural. You'll find qualification for deacons, plural. You'll find commands about baptism in the Lord's table. Other things, yeah, I mean, are implied. Other things we're, we're going to learn reading Acts, we're going to read reading the epistles and see a consistent pattern that we learn by kind of observing what happened rather than him explicitly saying, but... Why did he do that? I don't know. I, I don't know how else to answer that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ye
Yes. Last, last okay. one. May I comment on Yes, that? you may. So I think there's a certain degree to which, you know, understanding the historical context of the time that they were in, if he were to say, you know, some of the things that we do as a church very explicitly, it's, you know, you have over 2,000 years, you have many different contexts, many different historical, you know, different cultures, different ways of doing things that churches have sprung up in all of those places. And if you were to list out very specifically, this is how church and everything in the Bible, then I think that might potentially restrict, you know, where place where local churches can pop up. Yeah. And then it also gets into like we've had conversations before about, you know, the things that are essential to our salvation and the sure. things that aren't essential to our yeah. salvation. So maybe it's not specifically mentioned because the exact way that our church is structured isn't something that's necessary for our salvation. Yeah, that's good. All right, just to summarize, we're saying that local churches have been given authority to recognize who is and is not a follower of Christ. That doesn't mean we are saying you are definitively or definitively not saved, but we have authority to recognize professions. Local churches have authority to vote in and vote out members, vote in and vote out its leaders, Elders lead the church, teach the church primarily, pray for the church. Deacons facilitate physical needs and they meet uh, or they help facilitate unity in the church. So practically speaking, I have three things here and uh, about 20 minutes. First thing is, and I want to highlight the word prioritize. That doesn't mean exclusive, but we should prioritize relationships in the local church. Prioritize means you can have relationships with Christians who are not in the local, your local church. Can, I want to emphasize that because I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying if you are friends with somebody in your neighborhood or you have a friend you grew up with or that you should just cut them off and only have friendships and relationships here. But I am saying that the priority of our relationship should be within this context where we've covenanted together where we, we're saying we're going to live this out together. Does that make sense? If we're going to disciple one another and we're uniquely able to disciple people in this church, we should really prioritize spending time together, getting to know each other, investing in, in not only knowing each other, but applying God's word to each other's lives. Any, any thoughts on that? How, how do some of you do that? What does that look like for some of you? There's a lot of people I'm looking around this room that I think do that really well. So what are some things you do? Anthony, yes. He has people over all the time. He invites himself over my house all the time. <laughs> so it's spending time like around the table together, right? Sean? Discipleship time with you guys, with yeah. 
take priority over yeah. my neighbor, who may be a very kind man, and we have lots of stuff in common, he believes in the Lord, but fine, when I have time, the dollar bills first. So, yeah. If you do that one over your head, he calls me Dollar Bill. <coughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah, I agree though. I agree with that. Yeah, so because you and I have made a covenant together, we're fam like in a unique way we're family. Not that all Christians aren't family, but there's just a difference in the relationship that I, I have with you than my neighbor who might be a Christian. I know we believe the same things. I know we're committed to the same idea of what a Christian is. And I'm going to uniquely help you and all of you and you helping me because of those things. Yeah. So I think the priority of our relationships, priority of our time as far as discipling relationships is here. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking when you were talking, you know, Acts 2, right? Right after Peter preaches the first sermon, you find people coming, they're, they believe, they're baptized, they're added to the church, in that order. Believe, baptized, added to the church. Then the next paragraph talks about how they devoted themselves daily to fellowship, breaking of bread, the apostles' teaching, and to prayer, like, they're, they're together a lot. You read that, that last paragraph of Acts 2, and you find a church that's together. They're not like, I see you Sunday, I'll see you next Sunday. It's, they're involved in each other's lives regularly. Second thing, letter B. I think local churches provide a safe context of love. I was talking with Brett about that this week, and he brought this point up. So this is credit to Brett. But local churches... Right? Have you ever been in a church where somebody says something that offends you or hurts you? I have been, right? We've all been there. And if we're in the context of a church where we know that we've covenanted together, it gives us the benefit of hopefully assuming the best of intentions. They may have said something really dumb, and it might have bothered me quite a bit, but I know they, they said that because they, they love me. Or at least I know that because they've covenanted with me, I don't think they meant to be like that. And I can go talk to them about it. Like there's just a unique context that in a local church, where we've covenanted together, where we're united with the same mission and beliefs, that when there's problems that come up, we have an underlying assumption that we love each other. And that even when there's problems, and there will be problems, people will offend you, I will be offended, you will be offended, you may be offended by something I say, but we have a context of love one to another where you can come to me, and I can come to you, and we can work it out in a way that if it's just Christian A and Christian B who have no formal relationship in a church, I don't have that assumption because I don't really know them like that. They don't really know me like that. So I think local churches provide a safer context where there's an underlying assumption of love. Letter C. <clears throat> Disciples need churches, not just you and me. I couldn't figure out how to word that. What I'm trying to say is we all have limitations. I have 
a limited number of gifts. I have a limited amount of experience. I have a limited amount of time. And if I'm going to try and disciple you, I have a lot of just big gaping holes where I might not be able to help you. But in this room, what are there? Maybe 30 people in this room? In this room, there's probably people in this room that have gifts that complement mine. That I might be able to be like, hey, I really don't know how to help you with this thing, but I know this person over here who's really, really thought through that well, maybe you could go talk to them. And they might be able to help in a way I can't. Or I might be super busy that week, and, and I know Nathan's got some time that week, so he might be able to step in. And What I'm saying is, if we have a local church body, we can make better disciples than if it's just me and you discipling each other. When we have a team, a family together, working together, all trying to invest in each other throughout the week and, and throughout the month, that makes better disciples than just me discipling somebody or someone just discipling me. So we need each other. You can find that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, right? Some are arms, some are legs, some are toes, right? There's Jesus, through his Spirit, has given a diversity of gifts, but when they all work together, they form one body. And if this whole church thing is primarily meant to glorify God by making disciples, then our diversity of gifts are, are given to be used in helping each other. And I can do some things, but I can't do everything. And you can do some things, but you can't do everything. But together, we can do a whole lot more. Like there's a whole lot more resources. There's a whole lot more knowledge. There's a whole lot more gifting together than ourselves. And the local church provides the context where that happens. So last thing I said, um, I thought of this this morning after I printed it out. So you get letter D. You just got to write it in. What we're trying to say is that there should be a culture of discipleship in local churches. Like, it should be part of the DNA of who we are. That our Sunday morning gatherings are meant for discipleship. That when we get together throughout the week and have each other in each other's homes, that we should be intentionally doing spiritual good to one another. That when we have lunch on our lunch breaks together, that we should be trying to encourage one another, praying for one another. Like, it's, it's who we are. It's not just something we do in a one-hour class. And, and it's like, hey, you know, like, we're, we're done at 10, 15, and we say break, and we're done with our discipleships thinking and, and doing until next Sunday at 9, 15. Like, this is who we are. We're disciples of Christ who are about making disciples. And in this room, and when we are done and we're in that room, those are the people we're intentionally trying to do that with. So the question becomes, like, are, are we actually mindful of that? Are we intentional about that? Are we looking for ways and opportunities to do spiritual good to each other? And like we said last week, that might be meeting one-on-one or two-on-one with a couple of people, but that can also be after church. Seeing someone that you don't know that well, asking how you can pray for them, encouraging them by saying, hey, I've been watching you and I see you do this, and that's really encouraging to me. Those are forms of discipleship. Those are ways of helping each other follow Jesus. So we got about 
seven or eight minutes. Any questions or thoughts, things to add that might be helpful that I missed? That was almost a hand. In terms of the, especially on the third point of doing a disciples meeting, the whole church body, um, it's also helpful for us because, you know, like Joey was saying with the elders, we're still all still sinners. And, yeah. You know, there's an outside chance that if we're trying to go it alone, we tell somebody something that's wrong. Yeah. Um, I when I was in high school, I misread a passage of scripture about the Holy Spirit and started having this really off thought about how the Holy Spirit works. Um, and didn't ask anybody about it. I just started thinking about that myself, and then I started incorporating it into my apologetic speeches, the speech and debate. Um, and then somebody on like my own balance like had to correct me. It was like, actually, this is really. And so I had to. So then I talked to one of the pastors in my church, which I should have done way earlier. Um, so it's you know it's easy for us to make mistakes because we're not all experts in how to interpret scripture yeah. and theological things, and so it's helpful for us to have other people around us that can disciple us and we disciple them and all help us disciple if we're like making new disciples so that we know that we're not in error and if we are that it's quickly corrected yeah yeah that's a really good point we will all say and do things that are wrong at some point and if we're in the context of a local church doesn't mean we have to be like unkind and uncharitable but hopefully Someone will catch it and say, actually, I don't know if that's helpful, you know. You see, uh, Apollos gets corrected, right, by Aquila and Priscilla. They pull him aside privately, and they help him understand more. Yeah, if we're all, if we're by ourselves, lone rangering it, and we're wrong in an area, and we're discipling somebody, and we start telling them that, well, but with the context of a local church, that can get caught. That's good. Anything else? Um, just <coughs> in reference to as far as like just points of the other congregation to go up, um, as we learn to love one another and disciple one another, we find I think those leaders within that are gifted to teach that do come from our congregation because you want to know. Hmm. I think if, if I hear you right, I want to know who's up there. Hmm. I want to know what you've got going on. I want to know if if Katie had to smack you that morning. Again, <laughs> like I want to know these things because I've learned to walk with you and love you yeah. and understand. And if you're, you have a tendency to go away that's not corrected, then yeah. you do get up to preach from the congregation, yeah. to lead the flock, to disciple from that point. Yeah. You've done it inappropriately. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's good. We uh, we need to know our leaders. That's like you read the New Testament, and what's implied there is like. Elders know their congregation. Their congregation knows their elders. How are you going to follow somebody as an example that you don't know? I could get on a soapbox now, but I'm not going to do that. But you need to know your, your elders. And thankfully, we're in a church where they want to be known. They're actually involved in people's lives. They are accessible. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. But something you also said is, I mean, as a congregation has authority, you'll hear Garrett say all the time, if I start spouting heresy, you have a responsibility to fire me. That's the church's job. Part of the church's authority is not just in voting in and out members and leaders, but also we have the authority over doctrine. When Paul corrects the Galatians for tolerating a false gospel, who does he correct? The, the elders, right? 
Read Galatians 1 and what does he say? He's talking to the church. You've not only have the leaders spouted off error about what the gospel is, but you have tolerated it. So we have authority as a church. Part of our discipleship is ensuring what's being taught is actually true. And if it's not, then we have to do something about it. That doesn't mean that if, if you hear somebody say some minute thing from a pulpit, they're like, I don't think that's what that specific word in that specific passage means, that that's a fire. But if you start hearing Jesus isn't God, or that the gospel is Jesus plus good works, we have a responsibility to say, hey, what did you mean by that? And if they're like, yeah, no, I don't believe that that's the gospel anymore. We have a responsibility to say, well, then you're no longer an elder here. Like, we have a responsibility in that area. That's part of discipleship is ensuring that the truth is taught. Yeah. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Yeah. Um, I used to work for a parachurch organization that wasn't super, super local church like focused. And there's sometimes like in my discipleship where everything just felt like on my shoulders. Yeah. And so that being a part of a church that has discipleship within it, there is such a freedom of mm-hmm. like other people get to come alongside me and disciple this person with me. I'm not the only person discipling them. Yeah. Like, I think that's a beautiful picture. It's so yeah. easier and free. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when, when Brett and Chris and I sat down to kind of talk through this class, one of the things we really want to do is take the, oh, no, discipleship is intimidating and kind of take that pressure off. And I think that very thing is one of the most freeing things is that you're not doing it by yourself. It doesn't rise or fall on if you say the right things or wrong things every time. Like, we are in this together. We're helping each other. That makes it a lot more doable to me when I'm thinking, I'm just a piece of helping you follow Jesus. It doesn't rise or fall on me. It rises or falls on, well, God primarily working through us. That's, that is not only a beautiful picture, but that's doable. Like, I can do that. I can, I can help. I can't do everything. I won't do anything if I feel like I have to do anything. So yeah, that's, that's a really, really good point. I've got time for one more. Any questions, comments? Yes. I think very similar to Tari's point. It's like, I feel like to, um, it's like a young Christian, like spiritually like me. Sometimes I feel um, I'm not eligible to explain well about the things to my friends. They are not believers yet. And I feel if uh, we have a church, if I family, and I can invite them to the church, and yeah. they can do a better job than me. And otherwise, I will maybe stop over sure. to other people. And also, um, another question is similar to this. I feel like spiritually, I'm still young. And to some of my mature, it's like friends. They are, it's like have more life experience and wisdom, and also they have stronger faith than me. Uh, sometimes I feel like once they um, encounter some difficulties or troubles, I feel other than the praying for the prayers, I can do nothing to them or be more helpful to them. Um, um, I guess my question is, in that case, what should I do? Yeah. Praying is an incredibly powerful thing. Like, yeah. that, that's, that should be our first reaction, right? That's awesome. I think it's okay if, if it's an area where you're like, ah, I'm not sure how to answer that. To A, you could go to someone in our church that you think would be a good resource and say, hey, this is the situation. Could you help me think through how I could answer them or what I could say to them? 
or even say, would you be willing to come with me and talk to them? Because not only will you learn by asking those questions or observing that conversation, but you can bring in, like we said, we have a family here to bring along with you to help. So you're not, you're not by yourself. But you can also, it's also an area where if you don't know the answers, you can learn by asking other people in our church or if they come with you just listening to what they say. That's a huge way to learn. So does that answer your question? Yeah, if, if it's a sensitive yeah. topic, I think it's okay to go to someone that's trustworthy in the church and not give names and say, I'm talking to somebody that's going through this and I don't know what to say. Could you help me think through how to give a biblical response? I think that, that would be the best way. Because there are certainly areas where you can't be like, hey, I'm just going gonna, gonna to bring this person in if it's sensitive. Yeah, so I, would, I think it would be best to either ask an elder or, or someone that you think is just trustworthy that you've observed and say, I don't know what to say. This is the situation. Can you help me? Yeah. That's a good way for us to, to lean on each other. Yeah. Good question. Well, I'm going to pray. Um, certainly, if you have more questions or want to talk, I'm happy to stay, stick around for a while, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for the church. Lord, you have purchased a bride, you have purchased a people. Not only a universal church, but you manifest yourself in visible local churches. We pray that you'd help us here at Delray to have a culture of discipleship where we are doing spiritual good to one another, where we're intentional about time together and investing in one another. Lord, we pray that you would, would show us how we can even better encourage one another and even better hold each other accountable that you would be more glorified. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.